Hello world, we are Sarwa and Sofia. We are honored that you're embarking this journey with us. Coming to you from across continents in early Sunday mornings. We are here to talk to you about life, love, self-worth, relationships, hardships, motivation, career, creativity, and everything in between. So make yourself comfortable, grab a cup of tea or coffee, and enjoy your early birth talk. Hi, Hafsa. <laughs> what a beautiful new voice joining us today. <laughs> yes, and it's been, I think, a few years now, right? That we haven't heard her voice. Yeah, about five. <laughs> about five years, maybe. Five years. Hmm. How are you, Hafsa? I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you, girls? We're doing great. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> It's great, uh, we're doing great, and it's great to see you and to have you here. Thanks for accepting our invitation. It's really our delight to have you. And just as we were saying right before the show, guys, um, it's crazy, but this show is giving us the um, time and space to reconnect with really interesting people that maybe it's time to finally really reconnect with. And so yeah, Hafsa, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor, and um, thank you for setting the uh, the space and the to share with me your home and uh, giving me the opportunity to share my story. Thank you very much. It's our pleasure, and yeah, so you guys cannot wait to learn about her story um, today. We. Have a really special um, life path to share with you as of Hafsa's life path up till now um, across the world across cultures um, everything that we are trying to bring in is kind of already embodied in your own experience so without further ado let's just jump right into it um, and would you please just maybe present yourself uh, shortly and briefly to our listeners and the ones maybe who don't know who is Hafsa Shan. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm uh, Hafsa, uh, known as Hafsa Chan, um, raised in uh, Casablanca and adopted by Robert. Um, I'm an exhibition designer. <laughs> I'm an exhibition designer um, with a double background from architecture and human sciences and um, I'm currently based in Tokyo, Japan where, where I'm doing my PhD in community uh, design while I'm working as an intercultural communicator uh, conducting projects between Japan and Morocco mainly. Great, great stuff. Um, so we knew you, Sophia and I, back in uni, university years. Um, I honestly knew you from very far. For me, Hassan is that sunny, shiny and smiley face I see doing workshops and handling 
origami papers and holding up something called Nipponia. Um, maybe Sophia knows you a little bit more and can talk a little bit more better about this experience. I, th I knew Hapsa University years as well. I think we knew her at the same time, but I was more interested in the cultural thing. Like, I needed to discover new things. And at some point, like, the club was so popular that if you are in first year and you haven't gone and attended any of the activities, you're just like, you have no social life. <laughs> like, you have at least to go to Nipponia. Uh, I owe her many, many things. Um, she has taught me how to work with origami of course and also how to wear a yukata and i was really happy and excited like a child when i uh, helped the first person to wear yukata and i was like yeah i can do it and later on she will invite me to be a uh, part of a uh, to organize with her a uh, few events uh, actually i was the one who is um you know who is uh, benefiting from them because the one of them we went and we've attended an Aikido um, show and that's how I started my Aikido journey as well <laughs> so Hafsa has been present in so many levels in my life although far <laughs> but she's that sunshine you know she, if you see her like uh, in the corridors or something just like it's a happy day which is great now that's the souvenir I have um, of, her, of, of you Hafsa anyway um... So all this experience talks a lot about Japan and the Nippon word. So why Japan? Tell us uh, why is that? Um, so Japan is the, uh, the question and probably the toughest that I uh, usually have. And uh, usually when I get this question, I'm like, what my, how much time do you have uh, so that I can um, share with you my story about in short, it's like um, uh, usually if you want a different answer, um, you you need to um, to have a different question. And um, Japan was uh, what I saw in Japan was the difference. And usually the difference is something that scares us. And I was curious about that the difference. Um, what could could be behind that difference and that's how it started um, but if I had to point something on in Japan I was uh, I was 12 years old um, I couldn't sleep one night and I um, I switched on the TV and it was um, uh, and I watched um, a uh, cartoon and it was in a language that I couldn't understand. And um, and I was like, what's that? And I did my research and it came up, uh, it was in Japanese. It was an anime, Japanese manga uh, and Japanese anime. And um, and then I started my research. And um, what's funny about that, that since like my uh, very little childhood, I used to watch anime, like Japanese cartoons, but I didn't know they were Japanese because it was like all dubbed in, um, uh, in Arabic or French. But seeing for the first time in, uh, in anime in, like the, um, in, in Japanese was like so surprising to me. And so that was, I was 12. 
and then I uh, kind of um, I kind of uh, forgot about this story uh, and then it came back um, it came back when uh, when I started the university um, I, I tried to somehow learn Japanese by myself so first of all it was like the language that uh, that got me I started by myself but what well, it was so hard I knew words but I I didn't really connected them and then I started the university and I got um, I went to Rabat and uh, I uh, found um, that Japanese language is taught in Rabat at the university and it's uh, also the way how it's taught it's not only uh, it was taught by Japanese uh, teachers um, but it wasn't about the language uh, it was about the culture behind the behind the language so it was uh, uh, okay, so we ha we are having this topic. Let's say um, um, the food, um, the um, uh, the um, traditional arts. So we're going to do it. It's like um, research action. Uh, it's like you are learning, but also you are doing it. Like we have um, a, a class about food, so we are making sushi. Where um, we have a class about um, um, customs, so we are going to. Uh, um, wear uh, traditional clothing, I'm going to do uh, some calligraphy, this kind of stuff. So I, it's something that fascinated me uh, and yeah, that's how it started. That's amazing. Um, I have a little confession. Uh, two things. First one, I when I was in high school, I have this kind of curiosity because when you talk, I feel like it's a big curiosity and that's what what was driving you to discover the culture and the language since the language is the vehicle of the culture and something similar but in a smaller scale obviously happened to me when I was in high school and it was mainly um, thanks to or due to Khawatir you know that show uh, obviously by Ahmed Shaqiri um, and the idea that somewhere in this planet people lived actually that way really got me uh, hyped. And I remember during that summer I started taking Japanese classes on my own on nhkword.com. <laughs> um, it was one of the f funniest and most fun things that I've ever done. But I so agree on what you said upon the fact that we didn't used to know that animes that we watched when we were children were actually Japanese anime, especially that they didn't look like what a Japanese stereotype person would look like to us. So part of that, yeah. And up till today, it's still one of the my favorite things about Japanese culture. Let's just not start talking about Ghibli movies again, because we do talk about them a lot, Safiya and I. <laughs> Uh, so, NHK is a very good uh, way to. Um, I I do appreciate the um, the way they present um, culture, uh, like the language and also the culture. I I, um, I appreciate it. That's true. Like something about Japanese culture that they are like for me the first time like I had my first experience with Japan or Japanese was through a Japanese person. She came to my great-grandparents' house, like really high on the mountains, like in one of the remote areas in Morocco. 
and she was studying the people, she was studying their habits and so on and there is something incredible about them like you cannot just meet them and that's it they will give you something about their culture so what she gave me actually was uh, she showed me how to make origami for a pot and she made a few for me and then she decided to uh, share her food with me and she was like um, she, by the way she spoke Amazigh okay <laughs> and I didn't speak Amazigh <laughs> so I was talking to her in English I think I was eight or nine so I was like I don't speak Amazigh I speak English which was awkward how that person coming from a different continent like so far spoke my great-grandparents language but I didn't while I was living there so I think that whenever you meet Japanese people there is some deep um, some deep discovery that you make about other yourself about their culture or anything so I, I, we can both of us me and so can understand why Japan <laughs> because we've had almost similar experiences yeah totally on a very light-hearted way I would say of course obviously but yeah um, that would be more a question for our audience Nasha and of course we're very intrigued to know why for you it was that um, but clearly it took a lot of time a lot of your spare time since you were studying that um, you were also um, holding the Nipponia the, the club we were talking about so the Japanese club with all the activities you did and you managed I, I remember I had some sushis you made with other people that it just popped up in my mind when you were talking about sushis um, yeah I mean I always saw that something happened in Nipponia club so tell us about your experience managing your free time activities and how the idea of Nipponia in itself kind of um so um and um first of all Nipponia is um how to say it? I had a vision and that vision came like in high school um but at that time I didn't uh so my, my family and parents, they were like, you need to focus to get your back, bac baccalaureate. And um, but I had that vision and I was interested to do something um, about culture, Japanese culture specifically. And when I, I went to um, university and I found that environment, uh, there is um, um, Japanese uh, classes, there, there is a community interested by Japanese culture um, and I was like, uh, I want to do something out of it. And the other thing is when you arrive to a new environment or when you are in, an, in a situation and um, that environment is like kind of um, different from what you, you are used to. I'm talking about the university and you don't feel like belonging it's like uh, you have many choices or at least three it's like either you you find the, a way to fit in or you leave or and it's my way you create an, a, a, a new space or like you um I'm, I'm not leaving i'm here and it's how i am and so i'm going to create a space and nipponia was that space um, and it was a kind of a home away from home, uh, a, ho a home for like um, newcomers, like uh, as you said, like a first year at the uni or like people who just come in and they are still wondering what 
they want to see what they want to do. And so for me, Nipponia is a home, is a family uh, before, uh, first of all. And, and then, and within that, that space, that safe space that we have created, uh, we are going to do what we like the most. And, um, and it was mainly a way to be ourselves, like the true, true selves, and to reconnect with our inner child. Like to nurture our soul kids and so that's how it started i was like <laughs> so that's how it started i was like okay let's have this space and um and the common uh, the common thing between the the, the people who were um, at nipponia it's like um they were um interested yes by japanese culture but we had a lot of members who weren't uh, interested by japanese culture but they wanted a safe place where they can uh, be themselves and uh, so we we had like a, every week um, a weekly um, workshop where we learn where we exchange and sometimes it's not even about japanese culture we just have a cafe and we talk about it was like, uh, our um, lives it was the closest thing to therapy um, and as like the questions that Hafsa would ask you during the workshop are very particular. Um, I remember we were working with Valentine cards, and we made a few of them. And then she was like, "Hmm, you made a heart. To whom are you giving this heart? Tell me." And the way she engages is very different. So can you tell us more about how do you mindfully channel this activity to uh, talk to people and connect with them? Um, so um, one of the things that I um, I was um, working um, to change or a kind of awareness I wanted to raise is about like usually when you talk about Japan it's like oh Japan sushi ah manga and it's all about the pop culture that's all what Japan is about and I was like no Japan is not only that it's yes yeah definitely it's a part of Japanese culture but there is much more and so I wanted to um, share that the aspects of Japan um, so mainly by uh, doing activities that usually are not are not well known by the general public it was mainly like a cultural um, cultural um, uh, art uh, like origami and um, again for me culture or Nipponia was a tool to share to share uh, or to um, To connect with people and for example origami origami is the art of folding paper and it's yes I can show you how to make an origami and um, And that's it, but it's um, for me. It's like way more interesting uh, to, um, to, to have a conversation while we are doing that origami, uh, to have like, um, uh, then you are doing this origami, but then, uh, can you teach it, teach it to someone else? If you are connected with that, uh, while you are doing origami, something spoke to you, touched you, uh, then you are going to either give it as a gift, either, um, uh, showing someone else uh, how to make it so I was um, so I was interested by this the way of spreading spreading um, and spreading um, 
how to say that spreading a culture or spreading a know-how that you can't say that usually I'm like oh I don't know how to make origami I can't do that but have you tried just to to uh, to bring you to be curious enough to try a new thing it's not about origami on itself it's just invite you to try a new thing I would say that's all what it was about and to to just think about it and just try it, it it's not um, it doesn't engage to anything uh, more mm. um, going through such a um mindful exercise and at the same time putting yourself in vulnerable situation after all since you're talking about creating a platform for expressing yourself and everybody else with vulnerable being for me a very positive um, thing um, what was the most thing you learned about yourself um, so I'm, a, I'm an introvert person and uh, very shy uh, usually I don't speak up for myself but being uh, the leader of Nipponia I had to speak up so I won't speak for myself but I will speak for my um, family um, so that's what uh, so that the best thing that happened or what um, what Nipponia brought me is like to uh, to speak up to to be the voice of the people uh, who doesn't have a voice and um, Nipponia was very hard to implement at the university. Uh, it was me against a bunch of uh, like administrative staff that I wasn't allowed to do this or not that. And it was a lot of like kind of fighting uh, for every event, for every... Um, so that was this thing that um, to give me confidence to speak up. Um, I, I can confirm it, that's true. Like generally Hafsa, like if she if we are having a, an event or something, she's this quiet person, you wouldn't even think that she's the president of the club. But she's like so quiet in her corner. But whenever this there's a logistical thing or that there's something that we need to reclaim or whatever, she's the one in front. And it's very fascinating how something that you did in your free time, spare time, has not only shaped your personality but is now part of a big, big part of what you're doing. Um, so, like, tell us about how do you spend like your spare time, like do your active resting. Our last episode was about it. We'd love to know how did you learn like these skills, and if it is possible, you can just walk us through uh, an ordinary day of your free time. What would you do? Okay, so um, usually for my free time, or um, I I write a lot. I uh, usually I need like three hours uh, before interacting with anyone. I need the three hours to uh, to wake up, do my meditation, um, do my exercise, write, read, and then I can interact with uh, someone. Uh, and um, no, uh, no uh, social media, especially in the morning. I don't uh, use them before noon. Um, and uh, then uh, I need to do something uh, to share something. Uh, it's um, it's important uh, for me sharing is caring. And um, it could be a thought, it could be a 
and, and it goes to origami. Origami became like a kind of my language uh, because, uh, you know, origami is like folding paper and to make a paper, you need, a, you need to choose that. You need to choose that paper, uh, which shapes are you gonna gonna make? And then, okay, so I made that. And while you are um, making this shape, again, it's not about the um, um, the uh, the end, the shape, but the process on itself. What am I thinking about? And it's like kind of meditation on itself and therapy. And once I made that shape, I wanna offer it to someone uh so that it's like um uh, it's then i it have a, a, like more meaning so what usually i do is like i i write white one postcard a day and usually i have in my postcard i send a, a, an origami with my um uh, postcard so i have like mainly one postcard and one origami that i send uh, to someone else and then what is amazing about it like you have i have the experience my personal experience doing it and then when i send it and the person receives it and they are reading or um, telling me how they felt when they received that message and I'm like again it's kind of they're happy but also me myself it comes back to me like the good vibes um, so yeah usually that's it and uh, after that um, again before uh, before um, before uh, sleeping in, in the night I guess need three hours um, at completely disconnected um, um, could be like uh, spending time with uh, in the grass like with nature uh, usually I love to walk um, uh, under like the uh, moon and uh, seeing stars um, and meditating again and uh, talking to my cat or something like that uh, so usually when my uh, my um, rest time, I spend a lot of time with myself because my daily life, I'm interacting with a lot of people and um, and I, I learned it in the, the hard way. It's like when you don't respect your nature, when you don't recharge, you can at some point, you just can't give anymore. So uh, when I started learning about that and I'm, I, I'm taking like long rest time so that I can come back refueled. Totally. I was going to say at some point uh, it became your love language. It reminds me and that's exactly what you were explaining right afterwards. How many hours did you need before this talk? <laughs> Um, I, 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 one hour, I, I did, I, I took one hour, I did, yeah, yoga, meditation, I, um, I write, um, a bit, and yeah, I took one hour. Okay. I just love the, the, the sensitivity that you, like, the care with which you teach yourself. That's really a lesson in itself. That probably could be a topic to, for an upcoming, uh, Upcoming episode for best practices. <laughs> it also reminded me of Thrive. I listened to your book review, Safiya, and um, parts of it were definitely resonating with what you were saying, Hafsa. Um, beautiful book review, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, talking about your 
rest routine, rest time routine, um, juggling Nipponia and university studies, which is something definitely is not easy. Um, we probably learned a lot doing that. Um, but what's the thing you learned most, let's say, um, going through this experience and that is actually beyond what we learn in university and at school um, in general? I, I would say um, uh, that it's not at school that you learn things, um, mainly. It's like sc at school you get a toolkit, like... Um, um, and then it's like uh, how you and it's up to you how you use that toolkit uh, don't wait for answers uh, from the school don't wait to um, to, to the school to tell, tell tells you how to manage um, everyday life situation uh, yeah take the toolkit and uh, and dare to try uh, by and and could be like a a project something that you like um, and there to try mm. and, and also another thing is like I, I've been to in um, uh, like during this school I believe to all my uh, studies that I wasn't creative believing that creativity is like knowing how to uh, to to draw uh, beautiful uh, things and so I I believe that I wasn't creative and then uh, while reading books while watching um, um, or listening to podcasts I discovered after I don't know six years or something that creativity is not only one way you can create be creative um, in while speaking you can be creative uh, uh, for example for me origami is a kind of creativity you can be creative how you treat people can be creative so it's uh yeah it's not one way there is no one way to be creative um there there was a point that we were discussing before we started recording the podcast actually for the listeners which was about how university shapes you into becoming the uh a prototype something and that we believe like as fresh graduates like we believe that we don't have the right not to uh go outside of these uh these limits that the prototype has set for us. So what's your experience, Hafsa? Like, ha have you managed, like, I know you created a safe place for you while you were studying because you were not really enjoying your studies. So what you did was create a safe space for yourself and try to enjoy it more. Has this happened uh, after you graduated? Did you fit in or you had again to? Yeah, I, I would say um, that um, something that I I, um, I, had, I struggled with, that I thought that I was, there is something wrong about me, that uh, uh, why I can't just do, uh, so I, I got my, I graduated, why don't, why can't I just work with my diploma? But no, I, I was looking for um, much more. For, for example, I am coming from the architecture school, and um, and for me, architecture is an is an like an, an answer. But what was the question? And for me, the question is coming from the people, the need of the people. And uh, while looking, I uh, I was like, how can I know more or learn more about the need of people? So while working as an exhibition designer, I went to um, uh, I did um, a double um, um, degree in sociology. 
so that I understand better without judging just what people need uh, or how they practice space. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's how I coped with it. It's like still being curious, even though uh, this doesn't, like people around me, they never understand what I'm doing. Uh, what are you looking for? You already got your degree, what just uh, work uh, normally? I was like, I can't, I'm suffocating and I, uh, yeah. And so uh, that's what I did. And while working, I was involved in a, like um, cultural projects. I, uh, I pursued this while doing my PhD in community design in Japan. So and that's how I ended in Japan. Uh, and while doing my, um, while my, um, my research, I started another circle, which is called Morokonya, uh, based in Tokyo. And it's like a kind of, uh, in, in Morocco, I, I, Nipponia was here to, uh, it was a, a, um, like a, a cultural circle uh, inspired um, by uh, Japanese culture, but I believe in exchange and to have a dialogue, I need, it needs to go both ways. So I need like to, to have the balance. So Morocco, uh, Morocco came uh, and it's like promoting the dialogue. Yes, um, Morocco is promoted as a culture, but it's like one thing. Uh, but what I'm uh, looking for is like mm -hmm. the dialogue. So first you learned how to answer, but you realized you don't know how to formulate the question. So you went on looking for how, what is the question first? And that's how you ended up doing sociology uh, studies. Um, and once you got that, you realized that you actually up till that date did the work from one side and wanted to complete the picture and so went on to the other side and fast forward to Japan and now we are in Japan, Hafsa-shan, or maybe let's say Lella Hafsa created Morokonya. <laughs> if you have to compare, if there's something to compare really, I don't know, I don't believe in comparisons, but how would you describe the difference between the two experiences, Nipponia and Morokonia? Um, so first of all, Morokonia came like easier than Nipponia. Nipponia took me like, so this year Nipponia uh, is turning 10 years. Uh, and, it, and it... Oh, that's really great. <laughs> Thank you. We have, you have to celebrate it then. When are we yeah. going to celebrate Hafsa? Yeah, we are. We are. It's in October, so yeah, yeah. Inshallah, we are. We are doing that. Let's, but so Nipponia, definitely, I would love to. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, uh, we ha we have some surprises uh, coming uh, regarding Nipponia's anniversary. Uh, but um, so Nipponia took me a lot of time, um, like the learning curve of how uh, um, how to deal with. Uh, First of all, administrative staffs. Um, funding was uh, like very hard. Uh, Nipponia was uh, self-funded uh, because I wanted it to be independent. 
and um, so that was very hard, especially like the first years. I had like my uh, allowance for my family, and I was split, split it half, and half is for me, and half is for Nipponia. And um, yeah, so th this I didn't know how to sponsor my activities, this kind of thing. So it was like learning curve was very uh, slow. Uh, whereas um, uh, Morokonia, uh, le I learned from the Nipponia's experience. So uh, kind of fortunate about Morokonia. The other thing is um, in Japan, people were in a high demand of that. They, they were very curious, like people around me had um, uh, people learning Arabic language, French language, um, uh, interested by Africa. So I had like a lot of uh, demand from, um, I, I did a lot of I, I, uh, like um, workshops, I had to speak each time in, uh, um, in being invited to talk about these things. And at some point I was like, why not structure all of this? And um, I, I can just structure it in um, like um, like Nipponia and have a, um, and instead of each time coming and saying, okay, Morocco is not about all the tagine, just as uh, in, in Morocco, I was like, uh, it's not just about sushi, but it's the same thing. I, I need to deconstruct this. It's not uh, about, uh, uh, Morocco is not Sahara and it's not only tagine, it's beyond that. There are people and there are like there is a culture uh, um, there's Moroccan Arab um, uh, Islamic Mediterranean there are a lot of layers and you can just you can just say uh, Morocco couscous tagine or uh, Sahara so um, yeah there is a um, kind of work uh, I'm working on that currently uh, and the university where I am <coughs> helped helps me a lot because there is a French and Arabic department and um, um, uh, Islamic studies uh, department and I'm working with all of these um, and uh, doing uh, activities and it helps a lot to have a kind of uh, uh, structure. Now we can complete the bio. <laughs> Founder of uh, Nipponia and Warkonia. We didn't want to spoil it all, so here we go. Yeah, that's a big surprise. I think that all along them, the years, Hafsa, what was, what was Hafsa doing actually? Hafsa Chan, sorry, or Lala Hafsa, or simply Hafsa then. Um, that we, um, that we had, uh, <clears throat> she was doing some sort of bridging between two cultures and she was developing her own cultural awareness, which is key in today's world. Like you have to know how to communicate about your own values, how to be open to others, uh, go beyond the difference, learn that difference, and learn how to foster it. Like, it's not a problem that we are different. In fact, it's really a uh, richness if we are different. Um, so, Hafsa, like, have you... Uh, I think that all of you said was cultural awareness, basically. Uh, so, uh, in your work today, how did the Diponia Morokonia... Did it help you, like, apart from founding your own club again in Japan, on a professional level? Uh, yeah, definitely, uh, in a way that... Um, so while doing all these activities, uh, it was a... I was considering it as a hobby uh, at the beginning, but I was like very passionate about it and I accumulated an experience of like 10 years. And it's like more than a hobby, uh, like the, the time... Um, 
uh, expertise, uh, the people, um, institutions that I worked with, like Japanese embassy um, uh, foundations. Uh, that at some point I was like, everybody sees it, but not me, that I'm an expert on that field, which is intercultural communication. Um, named on uh, in Japan and like the um, uh, communication, uh, intercultural communication between Japan and Morocco, namely. Uh, so definitely, yes, it took me a lot of time to acknowledge it for myself. Uh, but definitely, yes, uh, that's what one of my jobs currently as an acting as an intercultural communicator um, in a um, in uh, institutional level, but also like in um, an non-organizing um, independent event uh, as in um, working with like uh, universities and uh, schools. Uh, so definitely that's what I'm doing now as a, in a professional way. Right. So you're still, <coughs> you're still creating your own safe space. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Salwa. No, it's okay. <laughs> We're gonna say about almost the same thing. I was gonna say it's like a, a cultural ambassador. Um, totally doing well on both ways. Um, what what are the prospects? Where do you see yourself? Fast forward. Let's dream big. Um, I uh, because I I've experienced like different um, workspaces and um, like both institutional and independent and I see myself more in the independent side because when you are in an institutional side you are just dealing with the administrative papers and uh, waiting for the approval for the um, higher hierarchy uh, so I'm like more in, in an independent side. Uh, and having my own like cultural space and I'm um, I'm I'm interested in uh, like in culture but also in education um, and I'm currently working uh, in uh, like in, in education in different levels uh, I'm currently working with uh, elementary school at the university and with um, um, Kaisha, what is it? And um, in situ um, like working spaces, and for me because it's like it's with the kids, I'm like um, building up like a, a way of uh, curiosity, uh, and with the um, high uh, with the university, uh, it's like with the students who are like to um, developing um, a critical mind and open minded. Um, and then with the uh, working um, adults and working uh, people, it's like uh, um, to have to keep or to nurture your um, kid's soul. And so it's like, uh, I like to uh, imagine myself to have like an official structure, uh, keeping working at, at different scales or levels. Um, so that I have like um, short-term goals uh, and also long-term goals to build a, a culture where uh, intercultural is, um, is a normal way or is the way to, uh, um, to bring awareness about like we may seem different, that we are all one, we are humans and uh, yeah, that, that's my main goal. You just remind me of Maya Angelou yeah, Maya Angelou has, I think she has this saying, I can't remember it like in accurate words anyway. So she's like, behind the face of a stranger is a friend. 
So I think that this sums up every everything awareness, the awareness of others, others' awareness, not just cultural, like taking this step towards the others and bridging between them. And what's very, very nice is not only like when you learn the skill, you share it with others so that like we will be all, uh, you know, building this global network of people exchanging uh, positive vibes, I would say, and stuff about their cultures and values and positive values differently. During the coronavirus crisis, I feel like we learned this more than ever because we realized that we all are struggling with the same things. And at the end of the day, we all need the same things, health, um, a safe place to be and home and family and yeah, basic necessities, which are the same north and west, east and west, north and south and east and west, anyway. Um, and I I feel like your way of approaching things is first of all being always curious, aware, questioning what the situation is asking from you to be and to bring in to the word. And I'm saying this because you talked about Morocconia as a way to respond to a need for people and the curiosity that you felt from people who wanted to learn more and to know more and then also recently um, through your project origami with sunshine so can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you actually kept on being creative um, bringing a value to the world throughout um, crisis times um, so during the lockdown, um, I, I was uh, still conducting um, my uh, research about home remotely. And each time I was um, doing uh, interviews, um, the, um, there is something that came each time. It's like uh, p adults or people are dealing with stress and, um, and they have problems with their kids that they don't know how to keep them busy without um uh without letting them with the uh, video games or tablets um so uh i was thinking about how i want to do something how what what can i do from home and so i started origami with sunshine which is basically uh, a weekly uh, rendezvous workshops with kids um and doing uh and kids from worldwide like japan mainly japan and morocco and it's like the common um, uh, language is origami and it's the workshop in English and it's a way to invite them to be creative but also to communicate. And uh, so that was one part for the kids but also for the adults. Uh, we did workshops to uh, as a therapy, like making origami um, and talking about what which shape we are making and to whom we, we want to uh, gift it. Uh, so yeah, that's um, that's what is uh, origami uh, with some shine about. Great. So it started out as um, let's say temporary or crisis meet um, response uh, project, but who knows? Maybe keep on growing. As you were saying, you're like um, melting meditation, yoga for hands, and playful activity all at once which is something you know pretty rare mm -mm. yeah yeah it's an, an, an ongoing project 
Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, there is something coming about origami with sunshine uh, soon, inshallah. Well, I cannot believe it, but we are coming to the end of our episode already. Uh, it was great talking to you, and luckily we still have an extra 10 minutes with you for the bonus episode just to ask you a few more playful questions let's say this time but i'll leave you to close this one up if you'd like you've got one minute to share with the words your message this is your platform thank you very much uh safia and sarwa for having me it was a a really nice um time and space i felt home uh sharing um sharing uh, my um journey or my thoughts and um speaking about maya angelo there is a one quote um that i love uh from her it's like um you you believe no place uh or um ah i can't remember it exactly but it's like uh, you are free only when uh uh you be you belong to no place every place at all and the price is high, but the but the um, the, the price is um, is high, but the reward also is great. And it's my way of doing. It's like not belonging uh, anywhere and to be comfortable with that. And the other thing is like to bloom wherever you are planted. You may not um you may not uh control what comes but you definitely control how you react thanks for listening to our talk we had a good time recording it for you let us know what was your favorite part if you liked this episode please share it with your friends and don't forget to join the birds family on instagram please be upon you all